Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Monday Night Source Material. We are present with a capacity crowd right here at Rattlechin Broadcasting Network Arena, where tonight we are bringing to you another great comic book discussion. Let's get down to business and get you over to ringside with your commentators, Jesse Starcher, Ronnie Adams, and Mark Rattlech. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Source Material. My name is Jesse Starcher, and tonight we are going to be discussing a book that came out from Image in 2015, a book that I really didn't even know existed until I think Mark Radlich suggested that we talk about this. I think it was Mark who brought this one to, uh, to light. Ronnie, you ever heard of this title called Ringside from Image yeah, Comics? Yeah, I, I bought it when the first issue came out. Okay, all right, so... Mark Ringside is a it's a book about Rasklin. At least, you know, the front cover I'm looking at right here on the YouTube that we're sharing right now, it's clearly a wrestling ring there and uh, somebody's dropping the elbow. Why are we doing this book tonight? Because it's WrestleMania this Sunday. We got the Hall of Fame Friday night. We got NXT Saturday. And then we have WrestleMania 34 on Sunday. So therefore, next week we'll be doing, or this week, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, we'll be doing a TV party tonight for WrestleMania 34. And we're synergizing. It's all wrestling all the time. WrestleMania! Yes, indeed. So, yes, we're going to be discussing WrestleMania, but my show right here, Source Material, gets to kick off WrestleMania week here, whatever we want to call it, Wrestling Week, WrestleMania week right here on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. And we're going to talk about a comic book that, like I said, it deals with wrestling. Before we get into it, let's just talk about our fandom a little bit because we get we're, we're kicking it off Monday. Maybe people don't know kind of the wrestling background that we have, the, how we came to the sport. I think it's a, a, this is a great topic to bring up before we get into the book. So I'll start with you, Ronnie Adams. I mean, we're, me and you are both wrestling fans. So why don't you mm-hmm. kind of tell me, what, what was your first experience with wrestling and why why do you like <laughs> it? Do you still like it? Give me, give me the lowdown, my brother. My first experience with wrestling was with my grandpa, Mike. My grand, my grandfather was a wrestling fanatic, uh, subscribed to WWF magazine, watched NWA into WCW, WWF. He was crazy about it. And he wasn't like, like jumping up and down, yelling at the TV. He just 
stood, sat there and watched it, mm-hmm. you know, intently and just liked it. And um, so that was one of those things where I watched it with him. And I remember me as a, you know, myself being a young, being young. And he said, well, who's your favorite tag? T-? I said, <coughs> I picked out the killer bees because they dress no, like I bees. I love the killer bees. <laughs> But he was he was into Dusty and and, and, and you know he was into to Flair and Magnum TA and uh, he he was all the greats he loved him and mm-hmm. he he loved the classic stuff that we you know that I still go back on that's the reason I have the WWE Network now is so I can watch all that classic stuff so it, it, that's where I really got introduced to, to it and I kind of fell out of it unfortunately a little bit I still watched it but wasn't as big a fan as I needed to be you know I finally got back into it and started watching it. Again, and I was more of a WWF fan, and I really liked the spectacle of it. And then uh, I started appreciating the the technical parts of it, and started getting more into WCW as well. Because honestly, when you look at the two, WCW was more wrestling, yeah, than a show. I remember hating Sting just because I hated Sting. Not no reason, I just hated Sting. <laughs> and then I made myself sit down and watch his matches, and I was like, dude, this guy's really, really, really good. Why do I hate him? Oh, because some of my friends hated him. So, I mean, I've been a wrestling fan. I can I can say pretty much since I've been a little kid and really into it and getting into get when I say getting into it, I mean looking at the psychology of it. Um, yep. What makes a good match and not just you know you know I was a I was a freak for the spot monkeys man. You oh know, yeah, jumping through stuff. I still am. I still like the spectacle of it. You know the the big spots and everything. But it's it's the difference between you know um, Jeff Hardy and Cesaro. Cesaro just puts on a good match, man. The psychology of it, the fact that he does, you know, he has an amazing, you know, amazing strength for a guy his size. Yep. And uh, the way he looks at the crowd, the way he interacts with his, you know, with his partner or, you know, with the guy in the ring or, well, his partner, Seamus now and everything else. And then you got Jeff Hardy, who not taking anything away from him because he's, he's talented and, you know, he's, on, you know, he's talented as well. But let's be honest, he made a name by bouncing chairs off his head and going through tables. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when they really got big, you know, the table, the table match, you know, ladder match. Well, no, let's else. be honest. It, it, I was going to say, you left that a critical part of that. What, what really made Jeff Hardy famous was falling off 20 foot ladders. <laughs> right. That, you know, you know well, and, and I, I think back to the, to the Hardy boys versus Brock Lesnar when Bro- they said, I, they had to have said, just hit him as hard as you can. And he was bending chairs over their heads. Gosh. And, you know, things like that. And then, you know, you look at the APA, who literally, literally hit the, the Mean Street Posse so hard. You know, I can't remember which one, with a chair that the seat bent back I, and it hung I, around their neck. I would almost guarantee it was Pete Gas. <laughs> it was probably Pete Gas, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like that stuff. But then, you know, I look at I look at Flair. He didn't have to do all, you know, all that stuff. He, you know, it, it was enough for him to slap on a figure four and people would lose their minds or Terry Funk. And, you know, in Japan, the spinning toehold is something of, you know, of legend. And it's just a spinning toehold. People, I mean, they, they, they go nuts for that crap. When I say, I don't mean crap, but they go nuts for that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, I started getting a little deeper into it. And it's a business that part of me wishes I'd, I'd gotten into. The rest of me is glad that I didn't. Yeah, I'm um, glad you didn't believe me. And not because of anything personal about you, but as somebody who was in it for a brief moment in time. Yeesh. Yeah. Now, now there, there are, you know, success stories. People are in it who love it, who live it, breathe it, you know, eat it for dinner. And, you know, they, they, they do well at it, you know. I just don't know if that would have been me. 
a lot of people are going to say, you know, I don't know, but I do love it. I really do. Do I watch it uh, as often as I should? No, because I'm still watching that old stuff, man. I still watch ECW. I still watch, you know, the, 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 unfortunately I still watch the attitude era, you know, the stuff on, on the network. I watch Smoky Mountain. I watch NWA. I watch all these classics, you know, you know, I've seen Dusty and Flair wrestle a million times and I could watch it a million times or more. That's kind of like my background with it and how I feel about it now. My, I think the greatest wrestler in the world today is AJ Styles. Dude, I've um, seen him. I've seen him wrestle twice in person. I know. I've, I think I've told you they're at Remix, and he mm-hmm. is he is an amazing athlete. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, and in, in, in as far as in ring and on mic, he's gotten a lot better. A lot worlds better. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and then, but then you got the guys in the independent scene, like you know, like the Bullet Club, Kenny Omega. You know, like I'm not going to go full Jim Cornette on you and say that Kenny Omega is, you know, is is crap because he does these gimmick matches. No, that's it, just he makes money at it, man. That's his job. But dude, he's so talented. If you broaden your horizons beyond what you see on TV right now, you can get into a world of not entertainment, but wrestling mm-hmm. as a sport, as, as entertainment, as, as, you know, no matter what, whether it's predetermined or whatever, it's still a sport. These are still athletes and they still put their, you know, their neck on the line every time they do this. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so that's, you know, I, I, I'm still passionate about it, but I don't watch Monday night raw very much anymore. I watch all the pay-per-views. Cause I get them for free basically yeah, 10 bucks a month. Um, and, and stuff like that. But I, I'm, I'm more into the now as I get older and as I, as I, you know, kind of get grow tired of, of, and I hate to say it, but I kind of grow tired of, of what they're giving us now I, and I'll get back into it. I know we'll, I just take, I take these spells, but I, I long for the days of, of the old stuff again. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Do you remember what moment you realized that wrestling was scripted and not, Real. I was as a, as a kid. Okay. Because my mom and my grandmother, my my uh, my grandmother and grandfather, uh, Bavino, uh, my mother's parents. Just, uh, grandmother Ruth hated wrestling. She did not understand why grand, Granddaddy Mike liked. <laughs> she could not wrap her mind around it. And uh, being the women that they are, I love them. They, they meant no harm. If they didn't like it, they didn't think he should like it, I guess. So every minute, I don't know why. That sounds about right. They were women. (laughs) I don't know why you like that. Ronnie, you know that's fake. You know that's fake. You know, and I don't even know if they really knew it was fake back then. They were just telling me that. Yeah. Of course, my grandmother didn't like, you know, like us. And, you know, being a good grandmother, she wanted us to go outside and play and be outside and, and, you know, get fresh air. She she once told me that the courtship of Eddie's father was rated R and I couldn't watch it. Isn't that rated R? I'm like, no, grandma, it's it's from the 60s. She's like, oh, I think I knew at a young age that it was there was it was more spectacle than real, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you, you just, it's kind of like Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, and Easter Bunny. At some point, you just accept it. Mm. And I accepted it, you know, at, you know, probably 11, 12 years old. I was like, yeah, it's probably not real, but it's still awesome. Yeah. And <clears throat> one of the beauty, yeah. one of the beautiful things about wrestling is how they can, it blurs that line between reality and fiction. Uh, because a lot of times what you see in the ring, is sometimes a reflection of what's going on behind the scenes. Sometimes. Right. Well, you tell me, when I say not real, I, I, that's what I said as a kid. I don't think it is very much real. Yeah, yeah. It's, But it's very much predetermined, too. But you tell me, the last time that Braun Strowman need Brock Lesnar in the face, <laughs> and then Brock Lesnar stood up and said, here's your receipt. Yes, sir. Him, 
Square in the jaw. <laughs> and um, and I'm, you it was real LeBron Strowman that night. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Hey man, but he took it. He took it with a smile. You know? He did. Yeah, and then he realized he had to slow down. As soon as yeah. he's like, okay. no, you don't have any place in the business if you can't every once in a while handle a potato. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's one thing if you're Ahmed Johnson and you're just hurting fuckers just to hurt them. Yeah. But you know, because you're just a sloppy, sloppy guy with a you know with big bulging muscles. I, I think you know, Ryback. Ryback was uh, a, was a good example of just hurting people. Yeah, Ryback could tell you he wasn't hurt, he he wasn't at purposely hurting anybody, but not purposely, <laughs> but he hurt some people. He did. I, you know. I'm I'm in the um, middle of watching the Monday Night War, and I just watched the Goldberg uh, Goldberg episode, and they featured yeah. uh, Goldberg. Goldberg didn't, Goldberg didn't give two shits and a fuck about anybody. <laughs> no, he didn't. It was, he it was it was Goldberg and Steven Regal. Now you guys probably know. Oh, I love that. that match. <laughs> that match is incredible because yeah. Goldberg said he said this is my match, and Regal basically no over the ropes and said no this is my ring yeah it, it, regal comes out and says i was told to give a six minute match <laughs> and you're getting all six minutes of it <laughs> oh, that's good stuff it was and, a bad night to be a goldberg yes but i mean was, but, but that's the thing it was just again like there are you know, like the ultimate warrior for example you know he was a guy who took every opportunity to fucking hurt people you know because he just didn't care it wasn't like like they, there were some guys that hurt people just just to do it and then there were guys that just terrible at their job and you know and it just don't work good and warrior was really more of the latter from everything that i've read and heard uh, and so he would hurt guys just because he was a shitty wrestler. But you know, but like the, the, his his Andre the Giant matches, where like he was purposely hurting Andre, and then Andre fucking stiffed him back. <laughs> oh, and he stopped. Right world, yeah. <laughs> he was like, "Got it, boss." Yep, yeah. Then you got guys like Terry Funk. Terry Funk doesn't mean to hurt people, and he's not a bad wrestler, but he's also 175 years old. <laughs> so he doesn't really know when to stop throwing chairs at people. Um, but so, I'm I, sure at some point dementia kicks in. Yeah, ah, right. Get off and my lawn! Taking it across right. the head a couple times. And I remember um, Mick Foley said in his biography um, that nobody could split an eyebrow like Terry Funk. If you wanted to get a little bit of juice, a little bit of blood, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll, he'll pop your eyebrow open and it wouldn't really even hurt. But, um, but he said, you know, he finally got to wrestle Terry and he's like, he's wrestling his, his, his idol, the guy that, you know, that he loves, you know, uh, kind uncle Terry, you know, old uncle Terry, you know, oh, hey, what's going on? Hey guys. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, he said, I finally get to see how he throws his beautiful punches and then Terry Funk reared back and punched me in the head as hard as he could. Well, <laughs> and he's like, now I know. And, you know, and it was no big deal. It yeah. And then there was a spot where, an ECW spot where Terry, uh, I mean, Terry, uh, Tommy Dreamer and Mick Foley said, well, let's, let's get a, let's get a beer bottle and bust it over your head. Yeah, that's great. Well, he grabs this, this old Coors bottle, I guess. And just, he wails Tommy Dreamer over the head with it, you know, and let's go at the last second. And it just clunk off the top of his head didn't break <laughs> so he's like why didn't that break and and tommy's like okay do it again picks it up clonk didn't break he did it like three or four times until tommy dreamer had lumps on his head and looked at him and said please stop hitting me in the head with a beer bottle <laughs> and he realized he's like oh oh god oh or, you know it's just one of those things where you know you got guys you know mick foley nobody can say mick foley wasn't talented and he wasn't a good wrestler because he took care of everybody. But sometimes you just you you, you get hurt yeah. doing this stuff. Yeah, you know. 
All right, let so, me switch it anyway, over. Let me let me yeah, switch that's, it over that's, to Mark. That's my, no, that's man, my. we we could talk wrestling for probably another two hours, and this comic yeah. book, you know, we'd be in uh, until midnight. We're all wrestling fans here. There's plenty of times where we've said take a drink when we make a wrestling reference. So let's go. Let me switch it over to Mark. I mean, give us give us this, the lowdown, sir. What what brought you to wrestling? What made you a fan? Are you still a fan? Tell me tell me all about it. All about it. All about um, it. God. I was born a I was born a poor black child on the south side of Chicago. I kind of knew that was coming. <laughs> anyway, I was born in Long Island, New York, and in Long Island, New York, uh, we didn't get a whole lot of the NWA, uh, and I didn't watch ESPN. So that l- the little bit of of AWA or the NWA or whatever was on ESPN, uh, I wouldn't have known it was there because my dad didn't watch sports and therefore never had ESPN on. But every Saturday morning at 12 o'clock when the cartoons were over on channel five was Mm. was wwf superstars and that's what i grew up with you know being a child of the 80s i also grew up with saturday night's main event in its heyday Mm -hmm. i was uh 1987 so i guess i was 11 years old when wrestlemania 3 happened and i was a you know, I'm a huge fan of wrestling by that point. I remember watching it at my grandmother's house. You know, she was one of the, she was rich. So she was one of the few people I knew who could get pay-per-views. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember watching it over there. And I, I've been following wrestling pretty much since the onset of the Hogan era. Um, mm. And again, I watched it every morning on on Saturdays. But I, and, and I and I was always a fan. I remember one of the best, best, most vivid Christmases I can remember as a child was the year that my cousin Ray, who who lived with us, in our upstairs extra bedroom we had an extra bedroom um (laughs) look at you fancy (laughs) ray who lived in our extra bedroom gave me an entire box full of those like rubber wrestling figures you guys nice see that's where you know not to interrupt you but i having a mother that was not a fan of wrestling and having a dad that just really didn't care about wrestling or whatever you know i mean he cared of course but he just he was like well i don't know whatever i never really got that stuff as a kid you know i got plenty of transformer you know gi joe stuff like that Mm. but you know i secretly coveted the the the, the rubber wrestling figures and the, I, and the wwf I, figures that you push down the the hump on their back and they jumped mm-hmm. and uh so oh, yeah. I, I, I never really got any of that i never had a wrestling buddy either i had yeah i had all that stuff um and like i said i had a bu- one year i got almost the entire first line that first wave of, uh, of rubber wrestling figures with the ring and hulk hogan's legs broke right off but that's okay because my favorite wrestler as a kid was the ultimate warrior my favorite wrestlemania match of all time up to that point was hogan versus warrior Mm -hmm. and at any time my dad ever watched me ever saw me watching wrestling he would always say you know that shit's fake right he'd say it just like that (laughs) like because i remember like randy macho man savage jumped off the top rope and landed an elbow and he was like you know if someone did that in real life, he'd kill a guy. <laughs> yeah. I remember Dave Meccarelli's confirmation. We watched WrestleMania 6, and he had this huge party in his basement, you know, and nobody was paying any attention to WrestleMania 6 until the main event. And I remember the Hogan look, Hogan Warriors not known for its it's not known for its technical uh no. prowess. It's not known to be the Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle of its time. But Oof. it it drew a crowd. Deep cut like right said, there, man. Nobody, <laughs> nobody was paying any attention to what the kids were watching. But as the Hogan Warrior match started and then built and built and built, more and more of the adults were watching and got into it. 
that's yeah. the magic of wrestling for me. That's the that's where a lot of my memories tend to lie. Not in matches itself, but in in how it brought people together, even if they were people like my dad, because my dad watched too. He thought it was the dumbest thing he'd ever seen, but he didn't go upstairs. You know what I mean? He <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like my dad as well. Like like I said, he just didn't care about wrestling. He's like, eh, whatever. This is I don't want to watch this. I'd rather watch Clint Eastwood on TV mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, you know, Western. But when I watched it and he was there and somebody did it like a spectacular move, elbow off the top, you're like, good Lord, what'd he do that for? <laughs> that might that kill I, a guy. <laughs> I don't, I don't have time to explain the intricate storyline that they have built up, but basically that guy doesn't like that guy and they're fighting. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and you know, then afterwards he'd be like, man, that was silly. You were into it. Don't you lie. Yeah. My dad was not big on like, you know, like, look, he told me he, he, he wouldn't let me believe absurd things were real. I've, I've talked about G.I. Joe in previous podcasts where he was like, you know, that much ammunition being sprayed in every direction. It's a wonder they're not all dead. Things like that. You know, rest, you know, obviously wrestling isn't real because what he did not want was for me to jump off my roof and drop and drive an elbow into my friend's neck and kill him. Yeah. Right. You know, that was yeah. his way of parenting. But he never stopped me from watching this stuff. Though he did <laughs> tell me one time he was very he was very ashamed of me for watching the Dukes of Hazard. But that's oh. another story for different podcasts. No, no, sir. <laughs> the Dukes were amazing. Anyway, ashamed. Ashamed. I uh for, for many years I traveled uh following different wrestling uh going to different wrestling cards in like the tri-state area. Uh my very first WrestleMania was WrestleMania 14 in Boston. Me and my friend John Brodigan, freak boy of uh, of Scoops fame. Uh we drove really? out yeah. We drove out to Boston for WrestleMania 14. The next year, me, him, and our friends, Jupac and Dave. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've heard Jupac's name before. <laughs> yes, I, I have told stories about Jupac. <laughs> we, uh, the four of us, uh, barreled into a car and drove to. Th- that was the day that spawned the, the Holocaust cooking show. Oh my God. I've, what? I'm, have what I not told I you the Holocaust? I've no. not told you the Holocaust cooking show story? No. And I, I you know, I feel that I'm better for it. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I don't have to get into it again. I mean, it's not much I'm of a kidding. story. I, I want, yeah, I want, actually want to know. We were driving from Long Island to Philadelphia, which is not a long drive, but we, you know, but, you know, long enough that we try to keep ourselves entertained in the car. And so, you know, imagine three other guys with my sense of humor. Oh, Lord. Let's start there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just imagine. It's already gone wrong. <laughs> so, three other guys who talk the way I do and have this and find the same things funny that I find. We just like, let's see if we can, you know, between now and Philadelphia, let's see if we can come up with the most like horrifying, most horrible thing we could possibly say. We did it before we got out of my driveway. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't think we had left my block before someone, before we, we had, from where we started, built to the Holocaust cooking show. So uh, anyway. surprise me. <laughs> we were talking about, I, I don't, it's been so long, but we were talking about uh, like cooking show, cooking shows or whatever. My One of my friends said something like, like he had only been half paying attention and he said something. And so when one of us sarcastically bit back at him, at which point we all started doing imitations of the Swedish chef pushing Jews in an oven. Oh, oh no. my gosh. <laughs> And that became the, the, the impetus for the Holocaust cooking show. It's really funny when you do the Swedish chef voice. I, okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. My gosh. We were all, I'm not kidding. My friend had to actually stop the car and pull over for him because he was laughing so hard. <laughs> awesome. There were two Jews in the car during this conversation. Yeah, I'll say. 100 dislikes. Anyway, um... <laughs> Oh, so a couple wow. years later, um, 
I saw WrestleMania 18 in Toronto, um, and that was where we met up with a bunch of our friends that we made over the internet through various writing sites. We all kind of gathered convention-like to see WrestleMania 18. You know, in between, you know, my the same kid, the same guy, John and I, we saw the Invasion pay-per-view. We saw a bunch of like in your houses. The year, the year that uh, SummerSlam was at Madison Square Garden, and the Undertaker and um, Steve Austin headlined, and we had to hear Highway to Hell 50 million times. Mm. <laughs> we were there. We were there for that. So, like, I've seen a lot of uh, WWF live wrestling. I saw. I, I was at one or two nitros. I drove down to Georgia with the Devil. <laughs> me and Ju- I got that reference. <laughs> no, but seriously, me and Jupac drove from New York to Georgia because we thought the Ultimate Warrior was going to appear at the Georgia Dome show. As it turned out, it ended up being the night that Goldberg beat Hogan for the title. Oh wow! So I was in the crowd for that. Um, the one time they were at the Nassau Coliseum, there were more fights breaking out in the crowd than there were matches, you know, in the ring that night. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I was there for that. That was that was the God. That was the night I believe they did the Tonight Show gimmick on Nitro. Oh, okay. People all right. were booing and, and throwing things and like like were not into the show at all. So yeah, you know, I've I've been a wrestling fan for a very, very long time. To this day, I mean I've been my wife and I have been to three different WrestleManias, two in Orlando and one in Texas. <coughs> wow. That's amazing. And yeah, and I would go again. I would I would have gone this year, but you know, I had the cancer last year. So, <laughs> you know, we we weren't quite sure I was gonna make it this year. Yeah, um, oh my gosh. Tends to impact the uh, the plans and the wall. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So we're we're giving this so next year it's in New York. I actually really want to go, but we're um we're doing a family cruise instead. So well, it we're getting to that demographic, guys, where wrestling is just not what it sh- what made for us anymore. I think. Well, I think well, the, the demographic they're shooting for is like what thirty five at the highest usually. Well, no, they're, sh- well, they're shooting for my well, kids. Is what they're, they're, is what they're shooting for. Mm-hmm. But um, go ahead. Let, let me say this. You say that, but meanwhile, NXT is very much geared for our age group. Okay. You know, oh, NXT yeah, is kind of a pure wrestling product. And NXT is really my preferred brand. I don't really watch anything outside of that. Now, I know a lot of people are like, well, if you like NXT, you should watch Access TV's New Japan show. You should watch all these internet things. I don't have the time. And I don't Mm -hmm. like, it's weird because I don't like wrestling like that anymore where I have to seek it out in all these other places. I know what I like and what I'm familiar with. It's there. It's on the network. I can watch it when I want to. Mm -hmm. And And I have just my life. I just... I don't have time in my life for, you know, for it like that, if that makes sense. That's you know, because you've bit- reached a certain demographic that has kids. As the Ring of Honor is broadcast here in North Carolina. Yeah. And I would love to watch it. But, man, I just, you know, I'm not staying up till midnight, you know, on a Tuesday to watch it. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> whatever stand time on your roof. I'm going to stand on your roof with rabbit ears. Right. And, <laughs> I mean, like... You know, and that's the stuff I like. I like Ring of Honor. I love, you know, I love NXT as well. I can't believe I forgot to mention it. But I'm with Mark. You know, I can watch NXT anytime I want because it's right there. You know, yeah. and I can I can stream it anytime I want. I don't have to worry about it. Raw, I have to sit down for three hours on a Monday night. Yeah, well, when we do this show. (laughs) I was going to say, not enough. This show pretty much killed my watching wrestling on Monday nights. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Sometimes I have, well, actually, it's been a long time since I've really felt the pool to try and, you know, watch Raw other than with my kids, with with Caleb, basically. Caleb's into it. He loves the wrestlers. He loves to sit down and watch what's going to happen next. His favorite wrestlers, John Cena, um, of course. Yeah. uh, So, you know, it's. (laughs) 
it, other than watching with him, and then we got the the big four pay per views. Uh, I got a friend of mine who's really into. He loves watching wrestling, and we've been going over to his house for probably five years now, if not a little bit more than five years. Every used to be almost every pay per view he was inviting us until finally, you know, it's just basically three of us who uh, really only made the big four all together. So we go to the Royal Rumble, we'd go to WrestleMania, we'd go to SummerSlam, and then Survivor Series. So we would watch those four at his house usually. I I can't tell you. We're going into WrestleMania here. I have no clue, like, any of the angles that are going on. I know it's... Uh, no, I have no idea. I was just about to spout off a match that I possibly seen on Facebook, but I can't even remember if that's right. So I don't pay attention to any of the storylines. And when I go to these pay-per-views, I'm just like, okay, what's going on here? I, I turned into my grandpa. Like, oh, yeah. okay, can you explain to me why? But the thing is, is that I have a very big appreciation for the art and appreciation for the storytelling, appreciation for the athleticism as well. Just real quick, I'll give my uh, two cents on where I come from in wrestling, and then we'll get into the book here. I started watching wrestling and my mom will tell stories about how I sat down with my stepdad's mom watch wrestling NWA on TV. I think it was TBS at the time. Uh, so I was probably six or seven, maybe. And it was NWA, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, the four horsemen, I think were getting started. I got into it. You know, I was like, oh, goodness, this is great. Saturday nights. I was trying to catch it on on the TV if I could watch it. My parents were in the living room. I was in their bedroom watching it from their waterbed uh, on their small, tiny nice. little TV on the dresser. Uh, so that lasted up until probably the late 80s. I can remember when Sting was a member of the Four Horsemen for a quick minute. There's a few memories that I pulled from watching WCW. And I rarely, well, I shouldn't say that. I think I started getting into WWF, WWE during Saturday night's main event. because, And I'd catch the Saturday shows on USA, I think it was. Or Sunday. I can't remember which one it was. But, you know, Saturday night's main event, I would stay up and watch that. And I I, I can remember the Hogan Macho Man angle with Miss Elizabeth in the middle of it. Uh, So you looked at her with lust in your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I can remember. I can remember that. I became a big fan of actually one of my favorite wrestlers was George the Animal Steel. Uh, I love that underdog feel of him versus Macho Man. He, him trying this ugly guy trying to get the girl. I think that was the first ever real storyline I paid attention to. Uh, so fast forward, we get into the early '90s. I'm not that big of a fan, and, and then I really like completely drop out about the time Bret Hart becomes starts becoming really popular. I just kind of yeah, you and everybody else. <laughs> I fade, I fade, I fade out at that point in time. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, I don't have the access to it either. Uh, we had moved. I was living out in a place that didn't have cable. So I was, you know, I had my Sega Genesis and Seinfeld on channel four. And that was about it. That was bunny ears place out there before we even got a satellite dish. So I was out of it for quite a while. And then I got to go to college and that was <laughs> 96, 97. Now, watching the Monday Night Wars, I'm really starting to get a good handle of the timeline in which I became heavily invested in wrestling. Uh, And that Mm -hmm. was near the end of 96. And the NWO, I think, had formed because it was Bash at the Beach where, you know, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and and, uh, Hogan, you know, turned bad and we got the NWO. So I, I just started getting into it. And of course, I run into like two or three guys that are on my floor that are big wrestling fans. And I start watching it with them because that was what my friends were doing. And I become a very big fan. And from there on out, I watched Monday night, probably from 90, the end of 96 or beginning of 97 up through 
probably close to 2000. Well, it's probably 2000, 2003, I would say. When I moved from Marietta down to Bluefield, West Virginia for a couple of years, all, all my friends were up here that I watched wrestling with. I had nobody down there to watch wrestling with. And therefore, I didn't feel the pool to watch it on Mondays as, as much as I did. But I used to watch it religiously from the Attitude Era straight up through WCW getting bought out, which was probably one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen on television. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw, I remember watching ECW during my sister's her uh, wedding rehearsal dinner. Nice. And they had it on in the bar. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit down and watch. This is the first time I ever got to really sit down and watch an ECW show. Uh, but yeah, I sat down and watched that. And then, you know, I, I was a pretty big fan. And then I kind of shortly after that, after I moved down to Bluefield, that was 2003. Uh, I really wasn't into it. Came back up to Ohio, watched it every once in a while. I stayed up, you know, on the stars, you know, edge throughout the 2005, 2006. I was watching it when Eddie Guerrero passed. So point is, long story short, I was kind of a fan, got out of it a little bit, came back in heavy, and it stuck with me for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I, I love listening to the casual heroes talk about wrestling. That's kind of really the only way I stayed up on top of it the past couple of years. When I'd head over to my buddy's house, I'd spout off some stuff that Mark had said on the podcast and act like I knew something. That's huh. kind of how that works. <laughs> so I, it, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I had to pull my knowledge where I could, and, and it got me into other podcasts as well. There's tons of other guys on that show, and you only were listening to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> well we had and then there was you know listening to colt cabana uh and his you know his podcast that's when i started getting into podcasts i would that's kind of a way to stay up on top of wrestling without watching it some of my favorite stuff was m- more paying attention to what was happening in the background uh mm. politics wise you know okay is this person going to be working for wwe uh or wwf next week if he's not is his contract of who's he going to all the dirt sheet shit that came out on the internet you know back when the internet was getting hot i remember i told this story i think on dean compton's podcast where my buddies up in in uh, college they knew the websites to go to before i even knew that it was really something that people did where they told who was going to win that night before the show even happened. So this guy, I would sit down and watch like Thursday night thunder with him, And he'd be like, Oh yeah, he's going to go over. Uh, he's going to win. I'm like, bullshit. And then it would happen in front of my eyes in my front of my very eyes. I would watch this guy win. And I swear this guy was telling the future. No, right. right. That was the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that was the internet. So that's how kind of uh, blind I was. But I loved, you know, after learning all that stuff, the politics behind the business. So that kind of brings us to Ringside, this this book that we're going to be talking about. And just as an only un- 5% about wrestling. <laughs> well, just as an aside to Ringside, there's a great movie out there I have not yet watched. So you guys tell me if this book somewhat resembles it or somewhat elements in it called The Wrestler. Have you guys seen oh, that movie? Okay, let's talk about that for just a minute. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) I've never seen it, so tell me about it. Okay, so there's two takes on The Wrestler that you should be aware of. There's the, the, like, Jim Cornette take on The Wrestler, and then there's kind of everybody else. The Jim Cornette not surprising there that Jim Jim Cornette is an outlier, (laughs) but everybody else kind of looked at the wrestler and said, "Yeah, that's one aspect of the wrestling." And they and and they were able to compartmentalize it that there are there are guys 
And beyond the mat, really showing a light on this, there are guys who were wildly popular at one point, did not save their money, did not know when the gravy train was going to run out, and then it does, and they find themselves on their ass, and they're clinging to glory, and their health is failing them, and they don't know how to do anything else. They don't want to do anything else, and and they're just kind of grasping at straws to make ends meet. That happens. It's not a happy story, and it doesn't happen to every wrestler, but there are some that it absolutely does happen to, okay? You know, Jake the Snake, his stories, you know, begun and ended like 10 times. Like his, Jake, yeah. Jake the Snake has more stories that you know, beginning and ending, than Terry Funk has retirement matches. All right, yeah. take a lot of drinks for that one, everybody. Just, just <laughs> right. give yourself alcohol poisoning for that reference. But that was, that was a, that, once again another deep cut. <laughs> but um, you know, the Jim Cornette take on it is like there were you know there were plenty of wrestlers who got out of the business you know, or their heyday passed them and they were fine and they saved the money and they're not these sad sack cases that Mickey Rourke's character professed to be in The Wrestler. What drives me nuts about the Jim Cornette take, though, is how Jim Cornette isn't isn't able to compartmentalize and say, and be honest with himself and say, this does happen to some people. I brought up Jake the Snake. Yeah, we, you know, Jake, there was, there was a great documentary about like the resurrection of Jake the Snake and he has mm-hmm. his Hall of Fame speech, whatever. But there's also the Beyond the Mat Jake the Snake where he's wrestling for crack. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Possibly on please, crack at the time he's wrestling. Can also. we please call a spade a spade? Um, <laughs> but, but I would not say this is, ne- this is necessary. I mean, there's an element of the wrestler in ringside, but this is more, uh, like P, like PI noir. Noir. Yeah, yeah. This is more of a noir story than it is anything to do with wrestling. Serves as kind of a backdrop, and it serves to to give you these characters. We are an hour into this podcast and have only just now started talking about this book. Um, but it's this is more of a noir story with wrestling as a backdrop than it is about wrestling or even about or even about used up wrestlers the way the wrestler was. Okay, all right. Well, I I would you recommend the movie, Mark? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Because I have not seen it, and everybody I've talked to is usually said it's pretty good. I just it's something. I mean, that, if not, it makes Roddy Piper cry. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh my. Okay. That was the story. I don't know if it. Oh okay. But yeah, I mean, it's well acted. A lot of good, great story in it. So yeah, if you're a wrestling fan, it's definitely well, recommended. You know, we're getting up. You know, we're we're near our forties or over our forties here on this podcast. You know, all these great wrestlers that we've grown up with, they are now telling their you know, telling their stories of what it was like after after everything was all said and done. After all these this the great pomp and circumstance, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans flocking into an arena to watch them wrestle and they were making all that money and you know, things have changed. They're they're getting old and especially the 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 toll that it takes upon your body. That's briefly touched on in this, in this book, but that's something that I always hear when I, you know, when we were just talking about Dusty Rhodes, we're talking about Roddy Piper, you know, it's amazing that some of these guys can still walk. Uh, Some of them can't. Uh, And there's an illusion. I think it's in like issue four, issue five to some guy that was at a con and you know, 
I, I'm pretty certain I know who that is, or that's supposed to at least represent or have elements from. Uh, I'm certain it's uh, it, it was was it Abdullah the butcher that had diabetes and lost like both his legs or something. Kamala. Kamala. Okay. All right. So mm-hmm. all right, let me get into the book here. Let's let's do that before I start tell the whole plot before even do introductions to the creative team or whatever all right so ringside like i said came out in 2015 we already talked about why we're talking about this book and we talked at length the creative team on this book is written by joe keating according to the wikipedia he's had uh let's see born in 1982 uh his bibliography uh, as a writer he's done things such as pop gun uh he's had his hand on savage dragon apparently at one point a run on glory uh, so mostly an image guy, it looks like. Doesn't look like he has too much big two experience, at least not as far as I could see. He does list him as having work with Marvel Comics. It just does not have, uh, I don't know if Pop Gun was a Marvel comic, was it? Mm-mm. No. Okay. All right. Oh, wow. That's okay. All right. Anyway, I'm looking at the cover of Pop Gun Volume 1, and it's got Madman on there. So it's clearly independent uh, image comics. And then let's talk about the artist, a guy by the name of Nick Barber, who, from what I saw... And I don't know, did they have the letters page from the first issue in the trade by chance, Mark? And I, I mean, I don't know if you remember seeing anything like that. No. The first issue, obviously, they didn't have any letters coming to them. But they did a great introduction of how to how they got into the book and why they got into the book. Both of them clearly wrestling fans. One of the things that I saw about Joe Keating, he said he was a huge fan of Mick Foley. Uh, and, of course, watched Beyond the Mat and wanted to tell a story that kind of involved all of that. But both of these guys are wrestling fans. And one of the things that he said he wanted to make sure of is that he didn't want to feel like he was appropriating the wrestling culture. Taking things that he wasn't a part of and acting like he knew what was going on. Uh, so he did a good bit of research according to, according to what he had said here. But he said he was very careful to try not to do that. Uh, Nick Barber, by the way, he, according to Comic Book DP, Comic Book DP on writing credits for 2000 AD, Judge Dredd, Motormouth, and Kill Power came out in 1992. That sounds a little bit different. And was an editor on Astonishing Tales. And of course, we have Ringside here that we're talking about. All right, so let's get into the story itself. Now, I want to synopsis first two issues. We'll talk about whatever. Three and four, we'll talk about whatever. And then issue five, we'll close up. Final thoughts and plugs and whatever else we want to talk about. So issue one and two. Daniel, I'm going to pronounce it Nosos. Nosos. A retired professional wrestler, once known as the Minotaur, is now on a return trip to the States after spending some time in Japan, helping develop professional wrestling talents overseas. After meeting up with a couple of old friends, we find out he is on the hunt for an old love interest by the name of Teddy. After visiting a local bar, asking if anyone has seen his friend, Dan is beaten up outside and told to stop looking for him. Battered and bloody, staying with his friend Amy, he remembers that she is a gun owner. His plan is to borrow a few of them and take matters into his own hands on the hunt for Teddy. Now, at that point, at the end of issue one, I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be like your typical revenge tale uh, where, you know, the guy's going to get some guns and he's going to take it out and find these bad guys and shoot their heads off or something. You know, just something. That's exactly <laughs> what I felt. That's what I felt at the end of the first shoot issue. Shoot their heads off. Shoot their heads off. Shoot their heads off. <laughs> Shortly after that, though, Amy shuts him down and convinces him to go to the hospital. After getting released, Dan finds Terrence, a local bail bondsman slash bounty hunter that works for an old friend, and convinces him to assist to try and find Teddy. Near the end of issue two, Terrence helps Dan come to the conclusion 
to start looking for Teddy where he lasts, where he last saw him. Dan steals Terrence's taser and heads to O'Shanahan's bar, which I don't know if that's where he last saw him, but that's where I think he encountered the guys originally that whooped his butt. Either way, he's on his way to try and find Teddy, but just in case, he stole Terrence's taser and heads to a Shanahan's bar, and that's where we end issue two. So, okay, uh, I'll open up the floor here. Do, do either of you guys have any comments, questions, anything you'd like to talk about here in issue one and two? I'll go with Mark first. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to Mark. I, it was different than what I expected. I really did kind of expect sort of an insider, you know, a comic book about the world of wrestling and, you know, characters in it. And I, and I was really prepared for that. And what I got was this sort of Netflix series about this old wrestler who this is more about him trying to save his methed out friend. Yeah. And wrestling just happens to be the backdrop. But this is but this is about this guy's story. What I and I don't remember I know I don't know if we've gotten this far into the story yet. Yeah, you know, it's kinda of hard when I have to, when I'm sitting when I read the whole trade. <laughs> but you know, you, you normally you used to sort of that kill bill thing where it was like, well, I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to get a weapon and I'm going to cut my way through a hundred and one. Yeah, I'm going to cut. I'm going to I'm going to cut my way through a hundred and one nameless foot soldiers. Mm-hmm. Sure. And leave blood everywhere. Just bathe in it. And, you know, and then you have a situation where this was a little bit more realistic and I thought a little bit more gritty and interesting where it's like you're a lone guy trying to fight the mob. What do you have a death wish? What are you an idiot? Yeah, yeah. they give you some doses of realism after that first issue where i thought oh this is going to be this guy taking matters into his own hands he's an older but but he's he's an older veteran wrestler he's i'm sure he's got some skills i was waiting waiting for him to whip those guys butts that jumped him outside of the bar but no uh, clearly he has he's no match for a, a large pipe wrench and about yeah. three people <laughs> so uh realistically he got taken Very- very reminiscent of the Shawn Michaels thing. You know, here you have this guy on top of the world at the top of the company, walks outside of a bar one day and gets the fuck beat out of him by like, you know, <laughs> three, three bar flies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that impacted his career quite greatly. Uh, now, in this case, you know, he goes out there, gets his butt whooped, and then it's like, OK, well, I'm going to take revenge. And reality gets shoved in your face again you see that happen throughout this book it's like oh here we go it's almost like we're going to take this neat comic book ride and then no wait a second amy his friend amy's like what are you an idiot put all my guns back <laughs> you can't go out every one of these is registered you're not going to go out and 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 do this and, and possibly get killed i mean you're going to go to the hospital and get looked at uh because you You've got you've got problems. You got beat. You're bleeding all over the place. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Um, now there are they do tease us every once in a while for a little bit of a kind of like a, some wrestling related story with I want to say his name's Davis. I think that's probably his last name. I don't know if that's his first name, but it, he's like the Michael P.S. Hayes. That's who I yeah. thought of when I saw this guy. He's like this veteran wrestler who's taken this other guy under his wing, a guy by the name of, I think it's Chaser Reynolds. I think his name is Jobby McJobberson. Yes, pretty much. We get introduced to these guys like in the middle of a push. Now, when we say push, I hope that we don't really bog down too many people who have not a whole lot of experience with wrestling as the word, correct word parlance uh, or vocabulary. This guy was about to get apparently a a break uh, and become like 
possibly on his path to becoming a superstar here at this wrestling federation, which was called CMW. Uh, but uh, they, they, the rug get, kind of gets yanked up out from under him, and he's upset about the fact that he, you know, he may not be able to become a uh, a superstar that quick. That was kind of that's that mirrors a lot of what we see in wrestling itself. People get pushes, and then all of a sudden, people get buried. Where yep. I, the last one I think I watched today on the Monday Night War was Jericho. Jericho was over at WCW. No matter what he did, they wouldn't give him a push he was doing this run with Goldberg and Goldberg wanted nothing to do with it, but the fans did. Uh, so that's kind of like, I assume what chaser Reynolds character is sort of like the care, you know, he wanted the crowd to get behind him. He wanted to have that shot, that, that chance to become champion. And that doesn't happen here at the beginning. So they kind of tease us there. Davis is uh, Daniel's friend. So that's kind of how they know each other. They may, they may interact one more time throughout this book, but that's kind of it. Ronnie, I mean, anything else on one and two? Did, did you did you like how it started? <coughs> I did because it wasn't it was something I wasn't expecting. I honestly, you know, was expecting you know, to look behind the curtain in the wrestling business, and you kind of get that, but it goes a little deeper. And like you all, it was more realistic, and I appreciated that. It wasn't the the you know the Punisher. Yeah. Um, you know the the guns were registered, and you're an idiot if you. If you think you're going to, you know, take them and, and run out and, and kill everybody with them because they're in my name. Mm-hmm. That's not something you see a lot in comic books or no, movies. It's no, it's not. I, you know, throughout this book, and, uh, and we'll get to issues three and four and five here in a second, but there's a term in the wrestling industry called swerve. Mm-hmm. And I felt swerved. Bro. <laughs> I felt swerved, bro, a couple times. The end of issue one and then the beginning of issue two swerved. Bro. Where, I, where I thought, okay, revenge tale. No, wait a second. Realism. There are a couple other spots throughout this book where you get swerved. Bro. <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> you get swerved, bro. There's a neat balance that they do in the storytelling that makes it almost kind of like where you're reading something that would be written by a someone trying to emulate a wrestling storytelling in some way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's the best way to describe it, but that's about the only way I can in wrestling. You know, you see a lot of, uh, sometimes the storytelling makes no sense. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> the majority of the time. And, and I just remember big show surfing on a cough. <laughs> <laughs> there's sometimes it just makes no sense and sometimes you've got sometimes you, know, you feel like a nut and a lot of times you don't uh there's parts where they you know these guys are these wrestlers that are put in front of us they've got a they might have a, a, a month two month story planned out and then the guy gets hurt uh they've got to turn around and tell the story a different way now i don't think there's anybody else i left out there at the beginning we talked about the minotaur danny danny Nossus. we talked about teddy uh we talked about terrence who is a bigger part in this book and then uh reynolds and davis so let's get into issues three and four now, remember, we left Dan at he's outside of O'Shanahan's bar with the taser uh, and he, he walks in and the phone rings and the bartender picks up the phone and it hands it over to Dan and says, here, it's for you. And Dan is, of course, trying to oh, who the hell knows I'm here. Well, lo and behold, it's Terrence. Terrence tracked down Dan at the bar and confronts him about stealing his taser. Dan explains how important Teddy is to him, uh, and Terrence agrees to help him try to track Teddy down. He tells Dan to go back to the bar and offer the bartender $100 for some information, but not to engage with anyone after he gets it. And, and, and his job is to only immediately tell, call Terrence once he, a, after he gets the information. 
Dan gets an address, calls Terrence, then proceeds to walk into the building. Inside are the men that attacked him. After a brief conversation, Dan learns that Teddy is involved with some really bad people that don't want anyone looking for him. Of course, like he couldn't get that message in the first issue, uh, but no. Uh, so nobody, you know, these guys don't want anybody looking for Teddy. Now, at the end of the book, or at the end, well, I guess at the end of issue four, Dan calls Terrence and asks him to quickly to come quickly. Uh, and we see Dan, the only one standing in a room above three badly beaten bodies laying on the floor and a bloody pipe wrench in his hands. So you're thinking, OK, he's he's got his revenge here, but we got to get Terrence in there to figure out what the next step is. So that's kind of where issues three and four, the main plot of issues three and four. Now, there's a few things in here that I, I you know, I haven't really brought up with some side characters. Uh, Reagan, he is, I, I, I think, talent relations for CMW, we we have a spot in here where he has an interaction with the head of CMW, and I cannot remember his name. We'll just call him Vince McMahon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but he has he has a run in with the head of CMW, uh, and also Reagan is like this story writer they hired just like straight off of sitcoms. I think is what they said. This guy wrote sitcoms, has no idea, or at least very limited, and I mean very limited idea about the wrestling business. So this all comes out of what really happened in the WWF, by the way. And please explain. So there came a point where the amount of TV they were producing, they needed more writers. I mean, straight up, they they needed more people to help create and run the shows because it wasn't just they weren't just stringing together matches anymore. There was, you know, they needed more people to produce segments, et cetera, et cetera. There came a point where there was a transition from, well, we don't just want wrestling people because we are pr- producing a variety show, as Vince McMahon would call it. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a wrestling show. It was a variety show. And our competition isn't WCW. This is before they bought them. Um, our competition is South Park. It's Seinfeld. It's Monday Night Football. It's it's everything that's out there in the world of media. Mm-hmm. So to be competitive and to you know to be fresh, Vince McMahon's like, I want people, I want Hollywood writers that are used to writing like soap operas and sitcoms because they'll bring a fresh voice to television. Now, one guy was a writer on WWF, and he uh, eventually would go on to do an After Buzz podcast who talked about how it was a terrible environment and he would hide in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) That's scary. But but he he came from that world. World of wrestling is so strange. I'm a I'm a fan of it. You know, I know people that do it Uh, there. You know, we may have some listeners on here that performing remix that we're going to be seeing here later this month. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a weird business where you're trying to tell a fake story, but you have these big guys with sometimes even bigger egos uh, who don't like the way a story is written and, and want to have their input in or may may not be able, may not perform uh, or may just come up injured accidentally. You ever um, watch like actual like, collegiate wrestling? It's not that interesting. I mean, it's interesting when you're doing it, but to watch it, if you don't put a time limit on people, and this is a true story, like in the, the in the golden age of wrestling be- before it really became a work, they tried it as a legit sport. Here's the problem. There was no time limit on it. And one guy just sat on another guy for an hour. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, I mean, it's, it's legit. Uh, people got a little bored. Yeah. And so they took the, they, they took what would happen at the carnival, which is, you know, they get a strong guy out there. They get a very charismatic strong man. And he would, quote unquote, pull a guy from the audience. Now, the audience. Now, the guy that they're pulling is actually in, a, <coughs> in on the gag. 
you know, they're working yeah. together mm-hmm. and they would produce, you know, and it, they would basically produce a show, but they made the Rubes believe, they, they, they made the Marks believe that it was all real. And that's essentially where the two twains would meet. So you had this carnival thing happening and then you had real wrestling and they were like, well, what if we did the carnival thing in a real wrestling ring and made people believe that this wrestling was real? But made it like super interesting instead of one guy laying on top of another guy for an hour in a headlock. Yeah, I I want to tell my favorite kayfabe story. So still I'll, real to me, if, Ronnie. I'm turning you. I'm, I'm turning it over to you to turn it. Let's try that again. I'm going mm-hmm. to turn it over to you to kind of explain what kayfabe is. Okay. Uh, but I, I I just want listeners to know the title of this first volume. I think is kayfabe, isn't it, Mark? Sure is, Ollie. All right, Ronnie Adams, uh, kayfabe's a weird word, so why don't you kind of explain as best as you can as to what kayfabe is? All right, back in, you know, we're, we're going back to Carney days when we talk about this. Carnies, the people who worked at Carnivals, had a, had a special language called Carney, and you could speak Carney to one another. And that would make sure the marks, the people around you knew that the game wasn't, you know, that they didn't understand that the game was rigged or, or the, the show or whatever. You know, wrestlers kind of had the same thing. So it goes back to, um, you know, baby face and heel, which is a good guy and bad guy. And then you have you know, different words like, you know, juice is blood. You know, there's all kinds of them. So kayfabe is keeping up with the show. Um, making sure that they know it's, you know, they, they don't know that that it's predetermined. Mm-hmm. So that's what it means to keep, keep kayfabe. Yeah. If you have a, a heel, which is a villain mm-hmm. and a, and a face, uh, which is the good guy in the same room uh, oh, you know, bad. talking, you know, talking about what they're talking about, what the, the match they're about to put on. That's probably the biggest kayfabe break. That's, yeah. Ever, you know, I mean, they would put, they would book. Uh, heels and faces on on different flights. Mm-hmm. Make sure they didn't eat in restaurants together, and you know, you know, different things like that. So, and mm. it's it's a pretty recent concept to understand that we are dealing with sports entertainment today. But literally back in the eighties, again, that was kind of what I was asking you there, Ronnie, about that point mm-hmm. where you didn't know if it was real or if it wasn't real. In the eighties, they it was still something that they tried to portray as a real sport. Oh, absolutely. It was. But- it was Growing up and seeing the the under, I mean, seeing uh, the Ultimate Warrior puke black stuff, you know, <laughs> you can only suspend you, your disbelief you, so much, right? You know, yeah. yeah. My favorite kayfabe story, I think, comes from uh, uh, it was Bobby the Brain Heenan's one of Bobby the Brain Heenan's books, and I don't know if you guys have had a chance to read any of those. I think he's written two. Have uh, not yet. Oh my gosh, Bobby the Brain had some amazing stories, and I, I, there was a story where so they book a hotel. And it turns out the heels and the faces end up, I think, getting rooms on the same floor. All right. And I guess it was either after or before a show the the guys are getting ready to go to the show and they all kind of walk out of their rooms at once. And at about that time, the elevator door opens up and here's this elevator is full of fans. And so in the middle of this hotel, they have to break out in a fight in order for it to stay kayfabe. So that these people would not understand that they are living, that they are coexisting in the same hotel floor. Right. Uh, so this big fight breaks out where the heels and the face, it's like this huge battle Royal in the middle of this hotel hall. One of my favorite stories ever. The second favorite story that I remember him telling yeah, us. Oh, dude, my, my, my second favorite story that Bobby told was about the guy who I wish I could remember who it was. I don't think it was anybody too famous, but he was 
he was going to take this atomic drop from I, I don't know who. And I get to tell this story on my podcast. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to tell this anywhere else. But, <laughs> uh, this this guy's going to take this atomic drop, and it's apparently like his move. Uh, so whoever he was facing, who was going to take that atomic drop, gets with the guy who was going to be giving him that atomic drop and says, look, I want you to give this thing to me like 10 times. So the dude that's taking the atomic drop, the atomic drop, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what that is, guy lifts you in the air, uh, like comes behind you, grabs a hold of you, lifts you into the air, and then drops you ass first onto his knee. That's an atomic drop. Well, this guy was wearing white trunks. Oh, Lord, I think I know this story. (laughs) He somehow sneaks a chocolate bar Mm -hmm. into his pants. And so every time he takes this atomic drop, this brown stain just continues to grow on the bottom of his shorts until finally he takes the last one. The guy gets pinned. And if I remember correctly, he gets up. I know I remember this part correctly. He's in the ring and the the face is done, walked away. And the crowd's giving him all sorts of heck because he crapped himself supposedly in front of this, uh, you know, these thousands of fans. Uh, So he kind of like reaches around and he feels it. And he's like, oh, no. And he starts kind of, you know, he starts selling that. He starts, you know, freaking out over the crap that he pooped himself, Uh, the the fact that he pooped himself. And then he stops and he like reaches into his tights and grabs this melted chocolate bar, brings it up onto his hand. And he sniffs it and sells it like it's magic, right? So everybody's, oh, "Oh my gosh, no, no, no. And then he reaches back in, grabs another handful, and then licks it in front of all these fans. Oh, no. Yeah, I do know this story. It's disgusting. Oh, amazing all at once. (laughs) That's the greatest story. Uh, I think it was in Bobby Heenan's first book. Oh, man, I'll never forget that. Probably one of the greatest. I would have loved to have been present because at that point, you didn't know if it was real or not. They did such a great job of keeping that under wraps. I'm sure this was the 60s or the 70s. I mean, it was just classic all the way. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A lesson on kayfabe brought to you by the Source Material Podcast. All right. Anything else here? We uh, Let me see. I talk, we talked about Reagan's interaction with CMW. Mark talked about how Vince McMahon did something similar. Uh, there's a, a little bit of a reference about Reynolds' ambition to become a t-shirt guy. He wants his name being... Uh, sold on t-shirts and i think reagan this talent guy and reynolds are going to have something's going to happen later on in these issues uh not in this trade but it has to happen later because it sounds like reagan's got reynolds back in some way or at least he wants to push this guy then reynolds and davis hit a con this was what i was kind of talking about earlier where they talk about what they do at these cons now man still to this day i mean this this was written in 2015 so i say still to this day this is three years later after this was written wrestlers at a con are something that you know that that's just almost a given anymore i mean shoot down here at river city comic con we've had ec3 we've had the boogeyman so i i i can't think of anybody else that may have showed up but you know remix pro wrestling is always a staple at the at the comic con usually you know that that's that's prevalent all across the united states uh mark you ever run in any wrestlers you ever go to any cons and and in search of uh, the wrestler's autograph or anything um first of all i don't do autographs 
<laughs> okay, that's no, I, I'm not even smart because it's, <laughs> it's a little. I know, honestly, like I, I mean, uh, I, I, I can, I can barely handle my kids wanting to get like an autograph at Disney from the various princesses and stuff. But they, they get a thrill of it, and they're little kids, and that's fine. I, I don't want to meet my idols. I don't want to meet famous people. Um, I'm afraid they're gonna be like a pretty girl, and the minute they start talking, I'm gonna just hate them and want to walk away. Um, so, so it's just like I like nice. you better when you. I liked you better when you didn't talk. Yeah. Um, I, I'm definitely afraid of meeting Neil Fallon because as much of a huge fan of Clutch I am, and I find him interesting, I feel like at the minute he opens his mouth, he's gonna say something and like, dude, I just want to punch you in the teeth now. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Ruining my fandom. So hey, no, Ronnie, one of the biggest. I'll say the biggest, but I mean, it was one of my favorite memories of somebody going to a con and getting their dream shattered has got to be Justin, Justin Ewing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> with, with, uh, Greg, oh, the hammer, hammer Valentine. Yeah. Yep. You can watch that quick plug for marking out on Amazon right now. I'm actually in the movie, ladies and gentlemen, for probably, I don't know, all of <coughs> five, five seconds, but uh, go to marking out and watch, uh, watch Justin Ewing's dreams get trashed as he goes to, goes and finds the hammer and that's a classic example of what you're talking about mark hammer opened up his mouth and then justin ewing was such a huge fan right up to that moment and dude i mean i remember seeing posts about how excited he was he's going to go get to see greg the hammer valentine at this con and then he his attitude and everything was just absolutely horrible it's poor it was it was bad and you watch that unfold on this documentary i mean it happens (laughs) in front of your eyes as his dreams just get crushed and justin ewing's got to come back and explain what just happened the fact that he wanted him to sign a figure and then old greg the hammer valentine was not wanted to to charge him for his own figure (laughs) that's great stuff all right so uh, but anyway, let's talk about, I mean, just real quick, that that guy that was in the wheelchair that Davis pointed out to Reynolds about how, you know, hey, look, this is kind of like out to past your stuff. Yeah, but this is why we do this. There was a guy, in, there was an old wrestling star that was in a wheelchair, was missing a leg. There's a lot of, there's a couple of times where they talk about diabetes throughout this, this book. But I, I, you said it was Kamala yeah. that suffered because this guy was suffering from the same thing. He had lost a limb, but there was this, you know, here come this little, this, this girl wanted him to sign something. Uh, so there's clearly a life after, you know, after that on, on the road at cons and things like that. We also learn about uh, Dan and Teddy and how their relationship came to be. Uh, Dan, I think left for the wrestling, left Teddy for the wrestling business. And so you, you find out, if you haven't picked up on it yet, ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Teddy are a gay couple, which is, you know, was taboo back then. And I think it's even almost a little bit taboo in this book. Reynolds is kind of quiet because he's also a gay man. Davis looks at him and says, hey, look, you know, Dan's one of the good ones. You can go ahead and tell him about what's going on. When I say taboo, I think it's taboo in the wrestling business. Hold Not on. so much anymore, but um, yeah. it was. They, it just I wasn't mean, something you talked about a whole lot. Right. It was nobody really knew Pat Patterson was gay mm-hmm. until Jr. let it slip on, on air one night. It was, uh, gosh, it was something, uh, oh, uh, it was back when they did the Stooges. It was Patterson and, uh, Briscoe. Oh yeah. And they came down to the ring to Hogan's music, ripping their shirts off. And when Patterson ripped his shirt off, uh, Jr. screamed, look out fellas. Here comes Pat Patterson. <laughs> 
and not meaning anything derogatory about it, you know, yeah. not meaning anything, you know, it's just, that's who he was. Yeah. And boy, I think JR got in trouble for that one. And, um, so that, not that that, I don't think that really outed him. You know, I don't think anybody really caught on at that point, but eventually he came out as, you know, he, he's been, you know, gay, for years he lived yeah, you know had the same partner I, for i feel like the stories were uh, you know the rumors that like sean michaels was blowing pat patterson for a push well preceded that incident yeah but nobody really knew it for uh, i would i would just take that more as back then i would take it as a just someone trying to take a dig at michaels for some reason yeah. to try and move up but but there was rumors you know i mean if you go on in the uh, if you go on in what what issue are we on right now? Uh, we're at, we're at issues three and four. Three and four. There's somebody else that, that could possibly be modeled after a real life character coming up in these in the, in in the later issues. Um, there there's been all kinds of stories about you know abuse and abuse of power and and things like that in in the wrestling industry. I mean, you just you could. Uh, stick your head out of window, get hit in the head by one. Yeah, I was gonna say the um, the, the fabulous Moolah Battle Royal, which yeah, I mean, like quite well, a bit of one of the characters was you know probably based after you know after Moolah because the the rumor was that Moolah you know cheated her girls out of their money, made them all live in one house, or you know boarded them, and then you know tricked them out for sexual favors for for to to guys. I mean, there's all kinds of rumors about that. And now there's um, a battle royal named after her. Right. And that's why it's so controversial. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it, it's hard to say what was taboo and what wasn't and for what reason, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, homosexuality back then was very much taboo, period. You know, you know, through, up through the 80s. Not so much the 80s, but, you know, up through then. So you didn't really talk about it. Um, so well, shit, wrestling, was... wrestling was taboo. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, some of the some of the moments that I recall was, in being a kid was like, am I going to get called out for being a wrestling fan? Oh, yeah. You know, that that happened uh, in this book. Actually, it happens when Teddy and Dan first meet. I think Teddy's they're on the security job and and Dan's about to quit. And Teddy sees him walking away and he's got this wrestling magazine in his pocket. And he's like, what do you got there? Porn? Yeah. And he's like, well, no, it's wrestling or whatever he shows him. Oh, well, it's porn then. And it, wrestling is a, uh, it can be a controversial subject. Or at least it was back in the day. You could be ashamed yeah. to be a wrestling fan. Well, you know, in high school, why do you like to watch a bunch of sweaty guys roll around on the mat in their underwear? Shut up. I'm not gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even that. It's, it's, it, they're insulting something you like. You know, yeah. and, and that they know nothing about. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not about that. It's about you know the 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 sport. It's, it's about the athleticism, the story. You know, and I hate to. It's about rock to, hard, sweaty bodies. <laughs> that too, um, but I hate to I hate to admit this, but it's very much like a soap opera for guys. It is. Well, for anybody now. Uh, all right. So after remember, we left Dan standing ab- above these guys. He had beaten the literal crap out of. I mean, he just. Uh, I'm sure there they was crap themselves. somewhere. They pooped themselves. Uh, they he is standing. I, I thought he killed these guys. I, I was pretty certain he may have. I don't know, but. At, at the beginning of issue five, he's still sitting there, just getting off the phone with Terrence. Uh, he, he collapses into the ground, uh, into the middle of the ground. After laying there for a few, he wakes up and finds Edward. Now, Edward or Edward is the man that we met in the first issue that lured uh, Dan outside to get 
beat up by these thugs. And so Edward's there. And he's the one that told Dan not to go looking for Teddy. Edward then brings in Teddy. So this guy that Dan's been trying to find for so long, he comes in and he's just a shell of himself. He's emaciated. He looks, I mean, he looks green, literally looks green. Looks like other, he's been doing meth. Other than the, <laughs> yeah, other than the red track marks up his arm. Edward brings Teddy in and he reveals that Teddy has been inde- his indebted servant for the past few years, picking up a very bad drug habit. And Teddy now owes Edward close to 100 grand. Dan convinces Edward to allow him to take Ted's place and try to pay back Teddy's debt, but not before Edward takes his aggression out on Ted in order to motivate a quicker payback. He does agree to it, but he makes Dan watch as they beat him with a pipe. They beat Teddy with a pipe wrench. Now that brings me up. It brings a question here. Did you guys think that the, the, the thug that with the pipe wrench killed Teddy, do you think Teddy's dead? No. Okay. Uh, Mark, do you think Teddy's dead? Um, I'll say no. Okay. All right. I went back and looked at the panel because they did a great job. It was all off panel, this beating, but it focused on Danny's face as you you just see thwomp in the background and you kind of see Dan wince each time Teddy's getting hit. But then the final panel says splurch. I don't know what that signifies, but it can't be good. <laughs> Somebody made a stain in their pants. <laughs> splurch. Uh, somebody, so, somebody done splurched their pants. Uh, I was, oh, my gosh. <laughs> somebody done splurched their pants. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was kind of like, man, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 tears are running down Danny's face when this happens. But you think you get more of an emotional reaction if you killed him, uh, clearly. So because I think the whole point was him to take his his place. But I was confused at the end. I was like, why did they kill him? They don't show it, though. They don't show it because it's all off panel. It's just that sound effect. that kind of scared me. Uh, now, Davis and Reynolds are, are two wrestling guys. Uh, they meet with talent relations to sign new contracts. Davis is going to be headed to Florida. Find out the asshole of the country. If I remember correctly, that's what they said, Mark. <laughs> Davis is going to be headed to Florida to help develop and won't be on the main roster from now on. Uh, and at the end of this book, there's a great speech that kind of parallels what's going on with Danny. You know, Davis is talking about putting over a new guy. And this is the way he wants to go out. He wants to go out on his back by putting over a new guy, letting the new guy win and, you know, get popular off his loss, pretty much going away for a long time and then making a big comeback. Uh, of course, when he says that, then we, we kind of focus on Dan's face, who time has definitely passed for Dan. He's bearded. He's not like old, old, but he, you could tell, you know, it's it's been at least a few months. <laughs> he's meeting with a guy, someone that knows Terrence, uh, and he's getting a bunch of guns off this guy. And that's kind of where we leave issue five. It's it's just what, what happened with, we're kind of up in the air. We don't know exactly what happened with Teddy. Dan's agreed to become, uh, I guess, a henchman for Edward. Davis and Reynolds are trying to uh, come to grips with the, the next move in their career. That's kind of about it. I mean, so let's is start. This with- not, is this not Scream Netflix series? <laughs> Dude. Oh, it be- does. First issue. What I thought was really interesting was how they put Image Comics Presents. Then you go like two or three panels and it was talk, you know, brought to you by Joe Keating. And it looked very cinematic. Again, that's another, uh, you know, that's a word we've used on here quite a few times. It looked very cinematic and it felt like this was something that was written to be put on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, go ahead. I'm, actually, I'm actually surprised no one's optioned this yet. 
to uh to create into a series and it, you know and i don't know like what the what its status is as far as that goes but yeah somebody like hulu or um hbo or netflix look into making ringside a series like, it'll be a lot cheaper than saga Dude, and, people people loved Glow. Glow was a great yeah. series, and it was a well, series about women's wrestling. Well, that's the thing. It's like the WWE can pack every football dome, you know, every year for WrestleMania, and you'll still get people, you know, who say, oh, you know, nobody likes wrestling. Wrestling's not really a hip thing anymore. And then, like, you put a, you put a show like Glow out, you know, and, and it has this huge audience on mm-hmm. Netflix. You know, like wrestling has its has its audience and people are look, the WWE may may have its difficulties because I you know it's it's the WWE has the same problem Star Wars has right now. A very, very vocal fan base that is very that is extremely demanding. And if you don't give them exactly what they want, when they want it, how they want it, they then they scream loudly that you stick. <laughs> Yep. It doesn't matter if what you're putting out is good and works and everything else. It's not what they wanted. Therefore, you suck. And that's the end of that. Yeah. Be that as it may, you know, the WWF and wrestling still have this very huge audience. And you put wrestling in the title of something, people will come find it. Now, again, you put a show like Ringside on and you show in the trailer, it's not just about wrestling. You know, it's about this guy working for the mob trying to pay off a debt for an old friend, and they're gay. <laughs> I, you have yourself, you you have yourself something that people who don't necessarily watch wrestling will watch. I mean, look, that's a good story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at like something like Breaking Bad. You know, Breaking Bad was about a chemistry teacher who, to pay off his cancer debt, <laughs> starts selling meth. Now, I don't know how many people can identify with all the parts of that story, but they can identify with some of it, and it got a huge audience. You know, people who, look, I didn't give Breaking Bad a chance until like the like the last season, and then I ended up binging the whole, the whole thing. But if you think about it, like, it started on AMC, not many people, like, watched it in the beginning, it was a very slow start, but as the years went on, it got better and better, and people, more people got into it, and then again, not that everybody could identify with every part of Walter White, but there were some elements elements of him and and if nothing else people got into that character when he started doing shit like i am the one who knocks yikes you know you put (laughs) yeah you you write a character like like the ones in this one and you you know you get a halfway decent actor to to uh put his all into it you've got you've got the formula for a successful television show i really enjoyed this i'd like to read more of ringside i don't know when we're gonna get a chance to much like saga but this is definitely something I would come back to. And again, intern, if you're listening, please get this thing into production. Let's get a series on Netflix or something. I mean, shoot, they made a series out of uh, Robert Kirkman's Outcast. I don't know. I don't know what Outcast is. About demonic possession. Before we get into final thoughts, well, Mark kind of gave his, but I can't tell you, I had to scan and go to the next issue just to see if Teddy was alive. And I got my answer. So let's just say Splurge comes up again. Yeah. And... (laughs) It was it was soon after Edward told Danny to don't beat this guy within an inch of his life, but beat him enough to leave leave him with a scar. <clears throat> and you see the exact same panels again, almost thud, 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 splurch. So I don't <laughs> beat him with a, beat him within what, an inch of splurch. <laughs> that's, and that was with a sledgehammer. I think there's wait, 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 wait. He hit him with a sledgehammer. Did he yell out? I am the game, dude. I'm, I'm telling you. Another parallel between this book and wrestling. There are, oh man, it, it, it was in the issues that we read. He gets a face 
he gets his face punched with brass knuckles. Okay. And then he's up and he's talking like soon after that. And I'm like, okay, that's a little bit, that guy should be at least hurting her in the hospital. And then the pipe wrench to the face at the fir- in the first issue should have potentially killed him. He looked like he was beat up, but he didn't look like he took a pipe wrench to the face. And somehow Teddy is still alive after six hits with a pipe wrench until splurch happens. That's uh, hardcore. So- That's hardcore. <laughs> the, the, oh, point I'm tr- the point I'm trying to make is you watch that happen all the time in wrestling. <laughs> the game <laughs> uses a sledgehammer. Uh, and, and sometimes it's, it's, you know, it looks so over the top. Like that guy should be dead. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen, he's not. He's okay. He's all Every right. Every time he say sledge, I, I just think about uh, Gallagher. It's the Sledge-O-Matic. Uh, Ronnie, what do you think of the book, man? Like, being a wrestling fan, you, I mean, it pulls the curtain back a little bit with some of the storylines, and, and I enjoyed that. And then the fact that it expounds more on, on different, you know, on a different story within that, uh, I really enjoy. You know, just like you guys, it felt like a Netflix series, but more than a comic book. So it, 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 it takes the... Sometimes it can be, I guess, you know, the CD kind of underbelly of wrestling and makes it a little more, what's the word I'm looking for? Appealing. Uh, uh, not appealing, but makes it, uh, uh, takes that and, and, and just puts it in overdrive with, you know, uh, later on, you know, there, <laughs> you, you really have to read past issue five. I, I have. Okay. And, uh, and it's just one of those things where it, it, it goes on, you know, uh, involves you know murder and 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 drugs and everything else. So I mean, and you you hear stories about you know I can't remember his name. I'm I'm faltering here, but he was uh, in Puerto Rico and he was stabbed in the shower. I, I know the story you're talking about, but I don't know the name. You know it, it, things like that. You, you you don't think that really happens in well, it happens in any business. It just happens to be a business that we all enjoy watching. Happens a lot in my uh, business. Yeah, and it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't say it's happened in my business, but uh, that I'm in now. But um, but it's just, <laughs> you, say, you used to sell cell phones, and I'm pretty sure there was a stabbing. Oh no, the people killed each other all the time in that business. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, you know, shoot, I've had my life threatened several times. You know, when, when I was selling cell phones, um, retail. Jeez. Yeah, love it. But uh, it, you know, it, it, it gave a re- it gave a really good storyline, um, and that's what I like. I like I, you know read comics for the stories you know you know you go to i go to these conventions and everybody's looking for that holy grail or whatever man I, i'm perusing the 50 cent comics just to find that run that's really a really really good read yeah you know so and that's what i got with this was a really good read yeah i i enjoyed what i read it was a, it was a good story front to back i was curious as to what I was getting into, Mark mentioned how he thought it was going to be about it's showing you what's going on behind the scenes. And that doesn't really happen a whole lot um, other than you get the tastes of that. And I honestly would like more of that of Davis and Reynolds. I, so I imagine they're going to be showing up here in the later issues. But still, I liked what I read of Danny and, and his mission to try and find Teddy. It was it was good. I like the realism of it. I like mm-hmm. the fact that it was not something that was over the top. Okay, I'm suspending my disbelief because this guy will can do this. No, this guy's a, a veteran wrestler. He's got his limitations. He's not going to go out and he's not going to bang heads and then be you know still be this this top of the line guy superhero. No, he's he's got to deal with realism uh, throughout here. So it made it feel very down to earth to me. So all right. Yeah, I definitely I would definitely, you know, suggest anybody out there wants to give this book a try. 
absolutely go for it. I'm sure. I think it's up to issue 14, at least what I, from what I saw. So I don't know if the did the series end, Ronnie, or is it still it's still going? I think it's it? still going. Okay, so I'm I'm glad to hear that because it's the art's simplistic. It's not you know it, this isn't DC big two art we're looking at here. It's very simplistic, but it gets that noir overtone right, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, all right. So, let's go ahead. We'll get on out of here. Mark Radlich, let's start with you. What's your plug, sir? Depending on when you're listening to this, if you are listening to this on YouTube, uh, then tomorrow is our review of Ready Player One, and Wednesday, we will be reviewing the very first Power Glove album, uh, Metal Combat for a Mortal Man. You can check out our Metal Hammer of Doom Extras. We did two Power Glove songs, Kirby and Batman. And then, uh, much to Ronnie Adams' chagrin, we did a, we did a commentary for the 1991 Avengers mm. video game playthrough. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I wanted to be on that. And Thursday, uh, assuming Sean is able to make himself available, we'll be doing an on-trial for... He might have a Twitch. He might have a Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be looking at uh, the very first Tron movie. Not Tron Legacy, but Tron. Uh, next week, when this is up on the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, so if, it, so if you're listening to this as part of your you know, downloads of podcasts or whatever, uh, or you listen to it live on Spreaker, the, tomorrow night is WrestleMania 34 TV party. We'll, on the Metal Haver of Doom, we'll be reviewing the new Camelot, The Shadow Theory. If we can get this organized in enough time, I may have an interview with an actual author and presidential candidate. It's Andrew Yang. He is pushing the basic income guarantee. And, shut up, Ronnie. Um, I and, didn't say anything. <laughs> and so he's written a book, and um, I've been requested to have him on my podcast to talk about the book and talk about the platform and his uh, run for the, I guess it's the presidency. So uh, so hopefully if we get that organized, that'll be up late uh, late Thursday the 12th, uh, early Friday morning on the uh, 13th. Friday the 13th. That's what I got going on right now. All right. Then Ronnie Adams, sir, please plug your stuff. Oh, I got a show called the Screaming Boy Podcast. Uh, the recent one that's going to be up in the next couple of days is um, we had a rousing discussion on uh, the rise and fall of Toys R Us. And unfortunately, Toys R Us is going out of business, they're gone out of business, and they're liquidating their assets as we speak. Slowly. They're selling every- <laughs> yeah, jeez. Oh, <laughs> And people were clubbing each other over the head to get in there to save 10% <coughs> when I went. So I said, no, thank you, and left. So we, we talked about that, you know, how big of a part of Toys R Us was our, you know, how big a part of our childhood Toys R Us was. And it was it was a lot of fun. I had, uh, of course, Jesse was on there. And the one, the only uh, Mark Radulich, who you've heard his sultry voice tonight. And then we had uh, Totally 80s Pat, Patrick Mullen. So that was a lot of fun. So that'll be up. I also posted a lot of pictures on Facebook and Instagram um, of North Carolina Comic Con Oak City. That was a lot of fun. Got to meet Walt Simonson. Got to meet uh, Kevin Eastman. Both world-class people, man. They were just uh, great human beings. I love them. Love talking to them. Uh, great guys. It's, it, it made it worth staying in the line to meet Kevin Eastman to, to, for him to actually you know care about what i was saying when i was talking to him. uh so it was it was really cool meeting meeting him and and of course walter simonson was was just it was like talking to your uncle you know it, it was he was yeah he was just a really cool guy so and a lot of you know we had some good cosplay there uh you know got some good deals on some comic books and collectibles and things like that 
I'll be hitting uh, Winston-Salem, the Twin Cities Comic-Con uh, this coming Sunday. So you'll probably see some pictures of that if there's any... Co- it's a one-day con, so I don't know how many people will actually be in cosplay in this one. Hopefully a lot of people. Uh, so we'll be hitting that. And then coming in July will be Raleigh Supercon, where the, that's the that's the big mama jamma that's coming up. That uh, William Shatner, um, Mick Foley... Uh, Gosh, there's so many names I can't. You know, Amy Jo Johnson. I can't remember the actor's name, but Luke Cage, the the, the guy that played Luke Cage, is going to be there. Um, John Barrowman, uh, yeah, uh, from Arrow, uh, played the Dark Dark Archer. There's a lot of lot of star power going to be at this one, and that's going to be that's going to be a three day con. That so that's coming up. So expect some pictures from that. And you can find us on any social media on Facebook. Just search Screen Boy Podcast on Instagram, Screen Boy Podcast, Twitter's at Screen Boy PR. You can Downloads on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and right here on the Radio Legend Broadcasting Network, which is now, of course, on iHeartRadio. That's right. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, go give the Rattlich in Broadcasting Network Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts that we have to offer. We've got a great variety of podcast content, such as wrestling, comic books. We talk metal music and sometimes video games. Uh, I mean, we just got all sorts of stuff that you can check out on there. I'm ready to get out of here. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to say other than thank you all for joining us this evening on our discussion on Ringside Volume 1, Issues 1 through 5. Uh, that's Ronnie Adams. That is Mark Radlich. My name is Jesse Starcher. I bid you all a good evening. Bye. Have a good one. Swerved you there, didn't I? Bye-bye. Bro. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about snorting condoms. I want to. I, I I want to know, Jesse. How do you put up with me and and, and my nonsense? Well, I, like I said, I, I write a book. The he, the more shit you give me, the heavier it gets. When I first see you ever in person, I will throw it at you. <laughs> We're all gonna have a great time and everything else. But I'm getting kicked in the balls and hit with a book. Got it. <laughs> Just be prepared. That's all I'm saying. Get ready to duck, Ronnie. When when he ducks, you clock him in the nuts. Okay. <laughs> No. Yeah. Well, no. Gosh darn. Oh, there's the roster. Na 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 I don't understand your question. Let me try that again. We're going to be doing a show on WrestleMania, right? Yes, we're doing a t- Yes. I think my shtick will be just making you repeat things seconds after you say them. <laughs> Terrific. Just don't start a book. That's all I ask. Don't start a book. Just throw one back at me when you see me. His would be a leaflet. <laughs> Here, eat this brochure. Uh, Yours is a tome. <laughs> I'll just oh, throw the schedule. I'll just throw the schedule at you. God, no, oh no, jeez. My stepdaughter. My stepdaughter. My stepdaughter.
He stole Terrence's Taylor or Taser. Terrence Taylor. Terry Taylor. The Red Rooster is now on the hunt. Jeez. Take a drink for that one. Uh, that's what I thought. All right. That's I Oliver and Hardy. As no. in, I as in, I own a chain of uh, bargain stores. <laughs> wow. Splurge. Splurge. He pooped himself. Pretty much. Are you sure it's not about Southern rappers? <laughs> Stank on ya. Um, um, what about a wow. playlist of Cadillac? There it is. We haven't heard Mark sing in a while. Galaga. Gallagher. Gallagher. Oh, gotcha. It's like Galaga. Video games was last. Video game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall that happening in the video game. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.